Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 30 of the F1 show for the 2008 Canadian Grand Prix. I'm Robin Warner. And I'm Jim Lowen. With the top two contenders crashed out of the race, it was all BMW today. BMW scores its first win as a constructor with Robert Kubica triumphant at the Canadian Grand Prix. Quick Nick Heidfeld followed behind to finish second, giving BMW its first win, its first one to finish, and Dr. Mario Thiessen's first pair of soiled pants all in one day. In third place came the Red Bull of... Jim, Jim, is that right? That's right. We checked. Are you sure? Oh, yeah. David Coulthard, who maximized a safety car period and a one-stop strategy to collect his first points of the season and his first trophy in a long, long time. Got lucky. The aforementioned safety car period brought the biggest drama of the day. The top three drivers, Lewis Hamilton, Kimi Raikkonen, and Robert Kubica, came into the pits after Adrian Sutil's Force India car caught fire. Raikkonen and Kubica finished their stops first and drove to the end of the pit lane and waited for the closed pit exit to open. Hamilton, not realizing any of this, accelerated out of his pit box right into the back of Raikkonen's Ferrari, ending the day of the two top drivers for the two top teams. The most devastating part of this incident is that Hamilton drove an absolutely brilliant lap for pole, six tenths faster than number two Kubica. So to end the weekend with such a stupid mistake must be hard. As for Ferrari and McLaren, neither Massa nor Kovalainen performed at their peak. The former only managed fifth place, sandwiched between the Toyotas of Glock in fourth and Truly in sixth. And the latter couldn't even get a point, finishing ninth behind the Honda of Rubens Barrichello and the STR of Sebastian Vettel, finishing seventh and eighth respectively. Jim, this championship has been turned on its head. BMW nipping at Ferrari's heels in the Constructor Championship, and Kubica leading in the drivers. Absolutely. I mean, with this, uh, with zero points for Hamilton and zero points for Raikkonen, it puts Kubica in first with 42 points. Uh, Lewis and, ha- and uh, Massa are actually tied with 38 points uh, for second and third, and, uh, and then uh, Kimi Raikkonen's fourth with 35 points. So they're still all very close together for the top four spots. Um, and then back behind that is uh, Nick Heidfeld with 28, and then much farther down is Heki Kovalainen and, and the rest of them. So um, it's still, I mean, for Robert Kubica to be leading the championship at this point uh, is very unexpected. And, and for the, I mean, the one-two for BMW is just absolutely brilliant for them. Well, absolutely. And, and, and first and foremost, I have to say, I owe you a Coke. Absolutely. I don't, I don't think it's entirely fair, but hey, uh, results are results. And uh, you you picked Kubica to win, and Kubica won. And uh, I did. And uh, I, I actually I can't take credit for uh, foreseeing everything that did happen. And, and ironically, I would have been happier if Lewis had won because I'm, I'm really, uh, you know, big fan of his but yeah uh, we're gonna have to talk about that but that'll come in a second evidently but uh i mean just great job you know well done for the bmw guys and uh, i think they earned it and it's obviously it it, it changes things when the other two cars uh, the top two cars are out of the race and like you mentioned lewis hamilton did an absolutely brilliant lap to qualify on pole and just outclass the rest of the field really absolutely and then to have the balls to say that it wasn't a you know he's like oh i was still slow in two in turn 10 there are two or three tenths there and this and that's like just say it was a good lap. You're six tenths up on everybody. Please. Yeah, Lewis kind of does that. I mean, you'll get that. Oh, well, how does it feel to come in second in the world championship? Was must be so disappointing. You say, and you know, on your rookie year, and he goes, Oh no, you know, I, I, I would have rather had first, but you know, we had a great year, and it would, it's like he's always just so humble and so modest about everything, but in kind of a funny, cocky way. It's it's yeah. really kind of weird, but yeah. it's, you know, if you see his interviews, you sort of know what I mean. Um, it gets a little irritating sometimes, but uh, you know, he's he's a good man, and obviously a really good driver. So uh, you know, well done for. Uh, crashing into the back of Raikkonen on a red light, yeah, I guess. Yeah, that right? was something else. I, I think, really, we have to talk a little bit about, well, I, I want to talk a bit about Raikkonen's luck here, but first, uh, let's go back to BMW. Uh, uh, let's not take too much away from them. Uh, Kubica was, he was running second behind Hamilton before uh, the safety car period happened, and he was keeping reasonable pace with Hamilton. Hamilton was pulling away some, but yeah. Well, I mean, Kubica qualified outside pole. He was faster than Raikkonen in, in qualifying, and uh, you know, you got to give him credit for for being right up there and putting himself in a position to take advantage. Absolutely. Uh, and at this race, 
you could legitimately say that there were three top teams there. This, you know, and and the three top drivers of the three top teams were all racing together. And so you still hesitate to call BMW a top team? Absolutely, I still hesitate to call BMW a top team. If Raikkonen and Hamilton were still in the race, and he won, then you'd then you'd be really hard pressed not to call them a top team. Yeah. But considering that those two were taken out, that was very fortunate for Kubica. I don't think he would have won the race otherwise. So. Uh, BMW is awfully close, but we also predicted uh, uh, for the Monaco podcast that this was going to be a strong race for BMW because it's a little less, um, little less uh, uh, leaning on mechanical grip, a little bit more about engine. Yeah, and uh, that's where BMW is strong. Well, BMW, okay, yeah. So Kubica was obviously really strong, but Heidfeld, um, even you know, he had the same car and he wasn't he wasn't bad, but he just wasn't up to the standard that that Kubica was setting. I mean, when they uh, uh, Heidfeld went for a what is it a one stop strategy, um, or, yeah. um, and you know had a real long fill in the middle of the race, and um, you know so he was heavy on fuel for a while and uh, actually came out of the pits ahead of of Kubica. Um, Kubica made his way around uh, around Heidfeld, but then just took off from him. So even on the la- after the last pit stop, um, Kubica was able to get in and back out of the pits in front of Heidfeld and just walk away from him and. Uh, it's when they were on what should have been similar fuel loads. For both of them, were on their last stint, so they should have both been, you know, just enough fuel to get to the end of the race. Maybe a little bit extra, but probably the same amount between the two of them. Um, the lap times were a second to two seconds quicker Absolutely. out of Robert Kubica, and uh, and you know Heidfeld was never really back up there to challenge with him um, after after the final pit stop. So that was, I guess, it, it's our you know your your call on on the driver differential was was accurate and continues to be so. Yeah, that Heidfeld is just not as strong. And it's true. And what's interesting is actually in the off season, uh, sometime in January, I predicted that BMW would get their first win this year. But I predicted that Heidfeld would be the one to do it because last year I thought Heidfeld matched Kubica uh, pretty much everywhere and seemed to be a little bit smarter when it came to full race strategy. And <clears throat> this year, Kubica's matured and learned and really become a, a star driver. And, and I don't think Heidfeld can quite keep up. Absolutely. So. Uh, you know, he he qualified eighth for this race, which wasn't bad, but it it it, it just wasn't to the same level as Kubica. Okay, so I guess the the you know the first casualty. So is Lewis running into to Kimi? So let's talk Lewis for a minute. Okay, um, this at, was just a complete brain fade on his part. Yeah, and he says he says he's um, apologized for to apologized to Raikkonen. I mean, their exchange at the track was. Uh, didn't even brief, make sense. Yeah, brief to say the least. Uh, basically, Raikkonen kind of gesturing to him like, hey, buddy, red light, what are yeah. you doing? And then he just kind of walked away. Kimi probably wouldn't have had too many people upset with him if he just walked up and decked Lewis Hamilton in the jaw. I mean, Which he, probably would have hurt since they still had their helmets on. But he was remarkably composed considering what had just happened. Yeah, and it's like he, he didn't even mind like he would just go back and sit in the trailer for the rest of the race and kind of say, ah, so I'm out of this one, whatever. I, I, I'm not, I don't want to say it that way because that just adds to the whole Kimi doesn't really care. I think he cared, and I think it was one of those, well, it's completely out of my hands. That was remarkably stupid. What am I going to do? Yeah. You know? And Lewis was like, yeah, you're okay, buddy. It's like, no, Lewis, you no, <laughs> he's trying to point out the huge red light right there. Yeah, and I think Lewis is sort of saying, you know, sorry, mate, but again, it's out of his hands too at this point. So yeah, what, what is he going to do about it? Fair enough. Um, so there haven't there hasn't been any official word on whether there's uh, Lewis is going to have a penalty for next week. I mean, it was obviously his fault. Raikkonen and and Kubica were doing the right thing by waiting for the light to turn green, correct, to exit the pit lane. And Lewis said he noticed the red light, but just a moment too late. And uh, obviously, um, we all know what what came of that. So. Um, it's clearly Lewis's fault, and then and then uh, Nick Heidfeld actually, or um, no, what was it? Uh, Nico Rosberg. Nico Rosberg. Yeah, Nico Rosberg was an unfortunate side effect of that because so, he came out right behind Hamilton and sees this car speeding up, so he kind of speeds up, right. and uh, and as soon as and, and he had just tapped the the rear end of the McLaren um, just enough to dislodge his front wing, so he had to go back around and get another do another stop to get a new front wing, and his car was never quite the same for the rest of the day. But it has to be said that Nico should have and could have had the same wherewithal that. Raikkonen and Kubica did, and should have known about the light from the first. In the yeah, first place. and and obviously he had he was stopping, but I think it just caught up how quickly because you know Lewis's car stopped so abruptly because it ran into the back of another car. Certainly, that uh, that sort of caught him off guard. So that, uh, as I say, is sort of an unfortunate side effect. But um, that's being looked into by the race stewards, and uh, we'll obviously have to see if. I mean, I, I, I do you think he deserves a penalty? <clears throat> it's it's hard to say. I mean, 
you and I have talked about this in the past, and what we're really looking for is consistency, right? Mm-hmm. If you're going to penalize some, somebody for a racing incident, you have to penalize everybody for racing inc- incidents, right? This was a racing incident. It obviously wasn't malicious and wasn't done on purpose. Lewis didn't gain a thing uh, by this happening, but... You could say his penalty was served in the fact that he's out of the race. But absolutely. then, But Kimi, you know, through no fault, absolutely no fault of his own, is stopping there doing the right thing and is just right. taken out. So in, in a way, as some kind of repayment for, for, for Kimi, um, it's, 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 it's tough. It's, it's tough. And, you know, it's one of those things where... This probably isn't going to happen again in the near future, so they could pretty much do whatever they want and not have to worry about being consistent afterwards. Uh, does he deserve a penalty? No. I know. I'm say no. It's okay. I'm going to say no. It's it's a really unfortunate thing, but frankly, I think they've just been too quick to penalize people in general yeah. this season, and you got to stop there. It, it, it wasn't on purpose. It was stupid. Yeah, it's unlucky, but that's racing. And if it helped anyone, it was the whole rest of the field because obviously, you know, BMW had a much easier day of it. Um, but uh, the secondary drivers from each of the teams, um, I mean, Felipe Massa ended up fifth, but uh, Hecky Kovalainen was still out of the points in ninth. Yeah, and that was a little bit strange that Hecky was so far off the pace um, that you know it seems like he, he had the advantage of you know two fewer guys in front of him. You know that that so if if he well, I mean, from the beginning here, you know, Kovalainen only qualified seventh yeah. this race, and and Masa only sixth. I mean, both of the second drivers for the two top teams were just nowhere to be seen. Yeah, and Masa, you know, did finish fifth, but he would have finished sixth if it weren't for Glock hosing Truly. I think we should talk about that in detail a little bit later. But yeah, um, you know, so Masa's drive wasn't wasn't great, and Kovalainen's was completely ordinary. Yeah. And I, I was I was a little disappointed to see that, and if I were on Dennis, I'd be very disappointed in that because now he's got a big deficit to make up. BMW Sauber scored 18 points today mm-hmm. for constructors. That's huge. That's yeah. not going to be made up in a in a race. And and where I was going with that too is that um, you know what I think they look for with the penalty is did the team gain anything? And they could have had a chance, you know, especially if Kovalainen had gone on to win, you know, that they, they they took out Lewis, but they also took out his competition and Kimi, and so oh, could Heike Ko, you know, go on and make advantage of that? And he really couldn't. I mean, he was nowhere to be found, and and, and Massa had a pretty solid effort moving his way up through the field, but um, it's uh, I, I I feel like probably not an on track penalty. I mean, what would what would be the penalty they'd give him? Maybe five grid I would spots think at the next grid race. Grid spots would be the most. Um, you know, I guess like if thing. if they did like a monetary penalty just to try to be like, you know, Lewis, you've got to pay Kimi. You know, hundred grand to yeah. be like, sorry that I messed up your race, and you would have gotten some prize money, and you would have had a fat afternoon Get on a Kimi boat. Get a fifth of his favorite scotch. Yeah, something you know, or uh, you know, they, I'm sure Lewis knows some guys at uh, Johnny Walker, isn't that a big sponsor of them? Yeah, so, yeah. You, you know, just just hook him up with a blue label, and uh, and away you go, maybe. But I, I don't want this to affect the rest of the season, you know, so profoundly, you know, because even five grid spots. Um, it can make a difference. It for can sure. make a huge difference, yeah, especially 10 grid spots. And I really hope they don't do anything like disqualifying him for the next race. And I don't think they would. But, but I ha- I'm going to say it one more time. It was remarkably stupid on Hamilton's part. And and to the point on the team's part, I, I, I can't believe that the team didn't know that the pit exit was closed. I think that should be something that's being relayed from the beginning. Yeah, whether that's the on the radio, whether that's just in the, you know, yeah. the lollipop. And I don't know. I mean, I guess the lollipop is either up or it's down. Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot you can say, like, I'm halfway up, so that means go up, but then watch out. I mean, it seems like they, on, they on the radio, you know they should mean? be like, you know, red light, red light, red light, red light, and right. just keeping them, you know, right on top of that. So I, I want to talk about a couple of things here, too. Okay. Uh, uh, first, let's talk about Raikkonen a little bit here. Raikkonen was out of the race due to this incident, but had the fastest lap of the race. Yeah. And uh, that, to me, is interesting. I think his luck today was just awful. Last weekend, his performance wasn't really there. This weekend, I think while he didn't seem to quite have the pace of Hamilton, I think that it would have been a reasonably close uh, reasonably close race uh, throughout, and it would have been tough with massive. But the other thing I want to get at is before before this whole incident happened, Raikkonen and Kubica were out of the pits ahead of Hamilton. Uh, Hamilton would have lost the lead with the pits. He so would have. He, he had a slower start or something, and Raikkonen could have very well gotten around Kubica and been leading this race. Yeah, it could have been. Um, I guess it's, it's it's playing what-ifs at that point, but uh, that's definitely true that they were out and stopped um, with at least a bit of a time advantage. Um, and, 
it, it wasn't long. I mean, I don't think it would have been a huge a huge game, but clearly they had they had passed Lewis though. I mean, oh, that, yeah. that's true. And had Lewis actually stopped, they all three of them would have gone out right in a row. But I don't think Raikkonen would have let him right by. Right, but uh, I mean, I guess that's hard to say because Lewis obviously did have that brilliant lap, so he knew a couple of things that Raikkonen didn't yeah. around the track. Uh, but obviously, Raikkonen and Kubica are both hard guys to pass. So absolutely, um, who knows? But uh, we know. I guess what we do know is how it did end up, um, which ends up being a, a rough day for uh, for Kimi and, and certainly for Lewis. Yeah. Now another guy that was having a really great weekend until this same incident is Nico Rosberg. Uh, he qualified. He qualified fifth. Yeah. Qualified fifth, and that's compared to Kaz Nakajima qualifying twelfth, and he 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 passed Alonso. For fourth at the beginning of the race, he was driving really yeah, well. Yeah, right around the outside of, of Alonso, and I want and I should say, I mean, Alonso qualified fourth. I mean, Alonso yeah. did a good job too. But and, and but that's yeah. compared to uh, compared to Nelson Piquet and I believe fifteenth. Oh man, yeah. So there's that driver differential again, huh? Yeah. But uh, I mean, yeah, Nico Rosberg was having a solid weekend, and just I guess I think he could have avoided uh, Hamilton. You know, the back of Hamilton's car, but. You know, so Hamilton could have avoided the back of Raikkonen's car too. So it's it's one of those things that it sucks for him. And yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he was he was right up there with the with the with the top with the best of them. And I guess without looking at the replay, I couldn't say exactly how. He, I guess he would have been right behind Lewis. I mean, yeah. he was right behind Lewis. He tweaked something mentally or physically on the car or something because after that, his performance was only ho hum. It was okay. I mean, he ended up finishing the race tenth. He did. He had to come around. And take another pit stop to get a new front wing put on the car. Yep. And after that, his the performance just didn't seem to be there as before. I don't know if it was just being caught up in traffic or if the car didn't feel quite the same to him or what. But uh, it, it, it wasn't the same driver after that incident. Yeah. And uh, and also, Kaz Nakajima, we should say, was uh, taken out of the race, uh, took himself out of the race uh, on lap 46. And, um, you know, so that's a pretty, pretty disappointing weekend for, for Williams. And uh, I guess we should also add Alonzo to that list. He, he was running really well. Yeah, Alonzo was, was doing well. I'm looking very racy and just, I guess, getting the most out of that car. And, and whether Canada is a bit of an equalizer on, uh, for different cars or what. But, uh, I mean, Alonzo clearly has a driving talent and, uh, you know, did, was, doing, was doing a good job. I mean, he, he got taken on the outside by, by Rosberg in turn one or two. Um, but, um, you know, he was... I don't think he was like losing a whole lot of ground, and, oh, and no, he was doing pretty well. Not. And you know, obviously, Renault can can do pretty well with strategy. But they say what uh, what really went wrong today was they just got the strategy wrong, and, and uh, he had to push too hard to get back. And uh, I see. And I, I see. guess, it, and it says that you know, a safety car can just throw a wrench in your hole. You can have all the plans sure. and everything worked out, but once there's a safety car period and everyone's pitting, it just changes everything. And um, Coulthard was, I guess, able to make the best use of that um, as anyone, and uh, really just you know got lucky and, and did his thing to get up to third, but. Um, you know the a lot of the guys uh, definitely had problems, and Renault was one of them. Right. Well, ultimately, what uh, Alonso gathered, we heard this on the on the pit radio, was that he thinks the gearbox broke. What's interesting here is they officially call it an accident on Alonso's part. He did spin, but he didn't hit anything, so I don't think calling an accident is fair. And he didn't stall it after the spin either. Yeah, he just kind of it, it, it looked a little strange because he was right behind. It was Heidfeld, right? He was right behind. Yes. And uh, and you know actually and challenging him to to make passes, you know, and and push a little wide here and there, and you know just working his way trying to get around the guy, and uh, and then ends up it's just mid corner, just kind of loses it. And whether the car didn't, I mean, it, the rear wheels didn't lock up, but something maybe he missed a shift yeah. and it just kind of upset the car or something well, happened. Him him saying the gearbox gave out makes sense to me in terms of what the car was doing because it seemed like they were mid corner. He would have been back on the throttle again, and all of a sudden the car got loose and then crazy loose. So if you all of a sudden lose drive, that means that means the load transfer shifts from the back of the car to the front, which would make the rear which light. would make yeah. the rear want to rotate and be yep. light, and th- then it lets go. So I think it's entirely possible that you know it could have been it could have been a drive shaft or the diff or something else. Might not necessarily been the gearbox, but I think something mechanically broke on Alonzo's car, and it was not an accident. And it is a shame because he was, again, driving really well, especially compared to his teammate, who was also out of the race because, I don't know, he hurt his pinky or something. Yeah, he just kind of retired uh, midway through and, and never quite said why. But, uh, you know, I guess he was having issues with the car or something and, and decided to, to pull it in. Yeah, so that opened the door for David Coulthard, who just he just quietly, quietly hummed along, put in some really solid laps. And uh, got got on the podium. I'll, yeah. I'll be darned. Well, and I mean, I'll, uh, sort of the other un- unsung heroes of this race, I think, are the Toyotas. I mean, ending fourth and sixth 
um, and very nearly four five. Uh, this race um, with with Massa splitting the pair of them, they had actually had a, a pretty good run. I mean, uh, let's see, they qualified eleventh. Um, Timo Glock was in eleventh, and Yarno was in fourteenth. Um, so to make it up to fourth and fifth um, near the end of the race was really quite good. Obviously, that helps that uh, Lewis and Kimi are out of the race, but uh, still four and five is is quite solid. Even if it were six and seven, um, you know that's that's good points and that's you know a job well done for them. Um, it does put them ahead of Williams Toyota for, after this weekend. They're fifth spot in the constructors' championship, exactly mid pack now. Yep. Um, and and they did well. And curiously, in qualifying and practice, Yarno truly just kept the, he spun the car like four or five times. I mean, yeah. just had major issues with the car. And whether they were just setting you know such a you know low amount of downforce so they could get really fast straight line speeds, and then he just had issues in the corners or whatever. I mean, I'm surprised that uh, he was able to collect it and, and you know get the job done for the race. I mean, Yarno didn't really have any issues in the race. Um, but, uh, yeah, so Glock was running in, in front of uh, in front of Yarno, and this is probably with, what, about 10, 15 laps to go? Yeah, about 15 laps to go, and Glock, for whatever reason, was really, really slow out of turn two and basically got right in Truly's way. Pretty much a brake check. I mean, I don't think he meant to, and cr- pretty clearly he didn't mean to, but right. practically brake checked Yarno Truly, and, and so he Truly so had to slow down. And that allowed Massa to get right around Truly. And uh, again, so Glock actually was, you know, he was he was running ahead of Truly, and Glock ended up finishing better than Truly, but I, I still think Glock made a mistake today as a driver. I, I think Toyota, given its budget and given its goals, should 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 find another driver yeah and i i I can't say i I would argue with that um but so well done for them uh to to get a you know eight points you know bringing those home today getting to helena williams is probably a pretty critical thing for them and i want to talk about the ferraris in a minute but first um the the customer ferraris sebastian vettel and the scuderia toro rosso ferrari got a point today in eighth yes which um i guess part of that is attrition i mean there were 13 cars that uh, that finished the race um, but still, to be up there in eighth, I mean, STR has seven points this year, yeah. which is, obviously, it's not Ferrari has 73, but still, that's that's solid. I mean, there are definitely points where the backmarker, but years where the backmarker teams have zero points, yeah. and, and Force India has zero, you know, yep. so so seven points is actually a really good effort for STR, and, uh, you know, that's, I guess, and, uh, you know, Sebastian Bourdais was actually the only lapped car today. He didn't, uh, right. didn't do so well. And there we have it again, is that, you know, the team has seven points. Uh, Vettel has delivered five of them, Bourdais only two. Bourdais was a lap down in 13th, the only car to have lost a lap. You know, uh, you know, it's it's really sad to see. I, I, I don't – I think Vettel's actually quite, quite good. And Bourdais probably still solid, but just can't really match Vettel's pace. And, and that's just unfortunate. Yeah, it's certainly unexpected. I mean, after everything that he learned in, in his champ car championships, all of them – and uh, to be able to you know go up against this rookie Sebastian Vettel who's 21 now I guess or 20 or something, um, and and you know not put in a solid performance uh, it's really too bad. And I don't know what that says if, if Formula One takes something different than Champ Car, you know in terms of the, the driving and whatever. But it's it's really kind of un, you know it's it's unexpected certainly. There's, and, or there's maybe definitely Vettel is just amazing. Well, know. the race the race is definitely very different to a Champ Car race. There's fewer pit stops. And the tire, the grip of the tire is much greater. The aerodynamics is much, much more advanced. So it's definitely a different behaving car than Champ Car takes getting used to. And the race strategy changes, things like that. Plus, you know, as a driver that can set up a car, I think that pays more dividends than Champ Car. Because a Champ Car team, which is now an Indy racing team, will have one or two engineers uh, working, whereas... Uh, a Formula One team will have fifty, yeah, you know, or a hundred, perhaps. Well, because it's it, not all a spec chassis and spec it, engine and everything else. Exactly, I mean, there's so much that can be. There's tweaked. so much more to it, and the driver then is taken, I think, out of the setup a little bit more. The engineers really have tons of control on really hearing down a setup. So the advantages that Bourdais might have in all his experience, I don't think, pay the same dividends as it would in Champ Car. And I guess, long story short, another way to put it is, I think Bourdais would be able to beat Vettel in a Champ Car. Okay, but. Uh but we're not racing champ car. Yeah, fat lot of good that does them in F1, right? <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately, it comes down to it. Um, okay, so on, on to, the, to the Ferraris. I mean, I guess we, we've I think we've talked about Raikkonen's fate well enough for this weekend. Yeah. Um, Massa, um, starting in qualifying, looked because uh, so uh, for those that aren't terribly familiar with uh, the track at Montreal, um, it's there's kind of the the windy like sort of first three you know two thirds of the track is uh, 
you know, sort of medium speed corners, um, and it's all it's all sort of a long, narrow track, relatively. Um, it's and and then there's well, this the whole track's on an island, and yeah. the island's fairly narrow, so the track is forced exactly to be quite narrow, and it's got chicanes and straights. Yeah, and uh, and then but the main, I mean, the biggest turn of them all is this 180 degree, or actually a little bit more than 180 degree hairpin, um, turn 10. Um, and now they actually had issues um, with the track surface starting to come apart. I mean, I guess the, the pounding that they take from Formula One cars, not from the weight of them so much, but just all the, the side loading and the and just moving across those. Yeah, with the, the amount of grip the, the, amount the of tire grip, has yeah. that it can pull up the asphalt and things. And so they actually had a lot of, like I said, loose gravel, and they actually resurfaced the track after qualifying overnight and whatever, So which is a little bit weird. that yeah, they couldn't It's strange because I don't remember that being an issue in the past. So I don't know what happened to the track that made the Formula One cars affect the track so much. Yeah, but uh, either way way um masa in particular we saw a couple of onboard shots and you could see just really working the throttle like like the grip was so low around that corner and that's actually what got uh, kimi uh to you know that he did he only ended up third uh, in qualifying yeah that's what he blamed his was qualifying on. he said you know the gravel in turn 10 and and it's you know how these things go it's the tightest hairpin but it's also before the longest straight on the track right so it's the most important corner and it's you know you just have to everything has to work out just right to, to make that corner work and, and get out of the straight um, Massa looked like he was having a lot of trouble with that, and I think that's why he only ended up in sixth for qualifying, um, you know, behind Alonso and, and Rosberg, of all people. I mean, in the Ferrari, he should be right up there with the top of them. But um, he looked like he was having issues, uh, like he, like Massa just doesn't quite jive with this track. I mean, and I guess that's sort of what we've seen is Massa is either on and just right up there with the best of them and, and right. winning, or just kind of doesn't doesn't make anything happen i don't know so which is um, why all this talk last weekend at monaco about how moss is going to be the new number one and raikkonen's on his way out and he's probably going to retire anyway is just a bunch of malarkey because this happens with massa every season he's hot and cold yeah but okay well so even in the same race um lap 53 actually um he passed uh kovalainen and barrichello in, in one single move yeah that was a hot in pass. turn 10 okay so massa um I guess so. So Kovalainen is coming up behind Rubens Barrichello and trying um, to pass and, and tries to make a pass and actually makes the pass, um, but then kind of runs out wide at the exit or sort of midway through the corner. And it's this hairpin which just you know takes forever to go around. You're going, you have to go so slow, and I'm sure it just take, feels like it goes on forever. It's something like 33, 35 miles an hour. It's yeah, quite slow, very very slow. And uh, and and Massa sees the opportunity and just goes in between the both of them. Is is right two wheels? It's a right hand hairpin. Right two wheels on the grass. Okay, and like you know, taking the super inside line, but makes it work and makes it stick. It looks like a slot car compared yeah. to the other two cars. So it's, I mean, it's remarkable. And um, I mean, I guess that's where the grip was was on you know half on the grass and and half in the middle. Well, that of the driving inside line. wheel isn't doing all that much. Yeah, you so know, I guess the outside to, wheel is the loaded tire. To have the outside wheel squarely in the middle of the racing line where there should be very little uh, gravel, I guess, worked out for him. I mean, it did work out because he was able to make two positions in, in one move and then and then just took away from, you know, just tore away from the guys after that. Absolutely. Um, unfortunately, he did have to do another pit stop after that. And uh, and, and so, he, you know, ended up, you know, ended up fifth spot. But for, he was running in third for a while there. And, and uh, I thought for a minute he was on a one-stopper and was going to bring it home on, on the podium. But uh, he, that was not to be. It was a two-stop strategy for Massa. Um, so... A brilliant move, um, you know, because it's it's pretty rare. You know, obviously there's not even a whole lot of passing in F1, let alone a whole lot of these, you know, multiple positions in a single corner, passing on the grass kind of moments. But uh, it was really pretty wild to see that happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think you have to say overall that the number two drivers that are supposed to be treated equally, uh, but, it, you know, in reality we know they're the number two drivers. They, they behaved like number two drivers today. Yeah. And, uh, you know... So it wasn't their best race, but who knows? You know, who knows? France is coming up, and and they have everyone has a chance to redeem themselves, I suppose. But th- this was this was a bit atypical, and I, I think I'm going to add that I, I don't think you're going to see BMW fighting for the win in France. Yeah, well, they're back in Europe. I mean, it used to be the North American Tour. Now it's just the one North American stop in Canada because no U.S. Grand Prix. Lame. Thank you very much. Um, but uh, so they'll be back in France. You know, the, some of the cars may have some some upgrades and different things that they've uh, you know worked on because the France is obviously a lot closer to other uh, factories, and uh, you know they they maybe have some upgrades, and we'll have to see if you know Ferrari can can you know get back on the pace there and work that out. But uh, so I mean, we'll, we'll have to see. That's that's two weeks away. Um, but for the moment, uh, Lewis Hamilton's got a I don't know 
keep his eye out for red lights or something. Yeah, I that, mean, that's, that was remarkable. Because at, at the beginning of the weekend, he just looked so strong um, with his qualifying performance and everything else that I thought, you know, there's no way Lewis is going to you know, lose this. He, he was coming out with a really good lead. And then which he, means I would have won the predictions. Which means you would have because you had predicted Lewis uh, in, uh, for the win. I had actually predicted Kubica, and uh, hence you uh, got me a Coke. Yes. So that, that worked out well. So um, for France, though. Yes. What do you think? Oh, we're doing predictions. We're doing predictions. Oh, okay, 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 okay. All right. I'm going to I'm going to put Ferrari right back in the front of it. You think so? I'm going Kimi Kimi. Okay. Pull and win. Okay. I think he's going to bring a little bit of anger from Canada, despite the fact that no one saw it, and he's going to bring that Ferrari because, you know, the French the French track is more of a just typical Formula One dynamic track. Yeah. And Ferrari's been so good this year. And I think Kimi's got a little bit of anger, and I've I've never liked Moss as much, so I'm going Kimi on pole, Kimi for the win. Yeah, and that's I mean it's a it's a simple argument, but I can't I, it's not bad. I can't argue with the fact that it's it's a typical track, and 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 under normal circumstances, Ferrari really just kind of seems unbeatable. Um, but Lewis this weekend, right up until you know making one flagrant huge error, um, was doing quite well, and. Uh, I, th- I think they'll be able to. I, th- I think Lewis's anger at himself, he'll be able to focus and uh, get back on the track, get a whole bunch of testing in, and, and uh, come out and show well in France. So I'm gonna. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah, know. See, it's not easy. But you got to lay it on the line. I tell you what, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Massa Hamilton. Massa Hamilton. Because Massa can come up with a good pole lap with, with a good quality lap. Yes. Um, Massa is good at pole. Yes. <laughs> Um, but but <laughs> I mean the McLaren's pace isn't just going to disappear though, and I think they've they've probably been doing a whole lot of work. So, um, and you don't think this is going to be Kovalainen's breakthrough race then? Yeah, Kovalainen's breakthrough race. Hey. No, I don't think that's going to be that. All um, right. Well, with that being the case, I think it's time to step away from the racetrack a little bit and into the committee room for a vote. Uh, more specifically, the June third vote on whether to. Keep Max Mosley, a vote of confidence, as they called it, as president of the FIA after yes. his uh, interesting escapades earlier this year. Yeah. And I think, shockingly, they voted yes to keep him. And that, that blows my mind. Yeah, basically just sort of saying, oh, he's got some issues in his personal life, but um, no worries. He's a good leader. He's he's the guy to run our organization. We, we stand behind this guy, um, which isn't directly the FIA saying we support his kind of really just awful behavior, but it's implying that, and I'm surprised that they voted to uh, to keep him there. I mean, I, I feel like... Um, I think most everybody is. Uh, the, the German National Driving Club promptly said we're out. Yeah. The American club, I haven't read that they have officially said they're out, but they threatened to leave as well. I, I don't think... I think you're going to see more people follow suit. The FIA is is eating itself from the inside out with this decision. It is, and some of the touring car, um, not necessarily the GT in the top level, but some of the touring car clubs, um, the, their relationship has been tenuous recently with the FIA. Anyway, um, so for that, for the some of the touring clubs to separate from the FIA and, and work on their own organization and competing with the FIA could really be bad. I mean, it could sort of take them take the FIA out of the position of being the top spot for you know the motor racing sanctioning bodies and yeah. Um, I guess it could be a situation like we saw here in the U.S. where there's competing series and they end up just causing more yeah, problems they than they're worth. each other. Um, and that's really too bad to start going down that path um, when they could have just, I think, taken this opportunity to say, Max Mosley, you really screwed up. You're out of this job. You know, whether or not there's criminal proceedings and whatever is really not their business anymore, saying, you know what, this guy is not the guy to lead our organization and to be the public face of the FIA and be the guy that, you know, people are is making all these decisions and, you know, having this sort of hanging over his head. Um, so I think it's I think it's too bad. It doesn't it doesn't make me like not want to watch Formula One anymore. No, no, but no. it's it's it does kind of lend some credence to the whole um, notion around the Formula One community that it's like Bernie Ecclestone and Max Mosley behind everything that happens, pulling the strings. But even even Ecclestone, even Ecclestone said, "Look, he he should go." Yeah, even he, he even said, "Look, it, he 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 should go," and he's saying the best thing Max Mosley can do now. Is, you know, leave quietly. Leave quietly in November. Don't run for another term. Just, just get out. And Bernie Ecclestone 
and Max are friends. In fact, it was in this article I was reading that Bernie Ecclestone's wife was having a birthday party, and she wanted Max Mosley to come, but there were so many guests that were appalled by his behavior, she had to ask him not to come to her own birthday party. Yeah. And that that speaks volumes. And, okay, should should his should his private life been exposed like this maybe not should do i like people that are in a paparazzi in in and exposing things no i i think in general that to get to get in people's lives as deeply as the paparazzi do at least in the states with celebrities and stuff i think it's it's disgusting but it happened, and this is a pretty remarkable thing to have in your private life. And now that it's out, it's out. I mean, so it's not it's 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 not the end. It's not the means. It's the ends, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how it came about, whether it should have been private or not. Fact is, it isn't now, and it's it's deplorable. Absolutely. So I, f- I feel like having Max step down, they get someone else, you know, in the position and sort of just push, put it as much as anything, put it past them. As quickly as possible. Yeah. Okay, because this isn't just going to disappear. And the longer Max Mosley is in the sport, now Max Mosley is known as this guy who was involved in this crazy Nazi orgy thing. Absolutely. Um, I, I think that, that in itself takes away some of his, his credibility and his ability to, you know. A great deal. I mean, yeah. He can't negotiate anything with any German. I mean, he just can't. Yeah. Anyone that knows anything about that is not even going to want to be seen with him. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, th- this is something where I would love to hear from some of our listeners in Europe. You guys have, I think, a much more in-depth understanding and knowledge of how the different national clubs, you know, relate to and work with the FIA that we do. You know, the American club, you know, the major motor racing in America is separated from the FIA for the most part anyway. Yeah. So uh, I'd be very interested to hear your opinions of how this will actually affect the different, you know, racing series in Europe because... uh, it could be for the best. My inclinations would be that it, it would affect it quite a bit. Yeah, and it and it it could be an improvement, and uh, but it, it, uh, my fear is that it could fracture things, and then we end up with different touring car series that you know aren't and they're certainly not that popular over here, and I know they're a much bigger deal in, in Europe, um, but uh, once you get down to several different series that are, that are just a you know a tiny bit different from each other, and they're all sort of competing for audiences and competing for ratings on television and everything else, that's. Uh, there's no no good comes from that, you know. That's that's not the that's not a good way to uh, to move things forward and and you know gain really good support for uh, for sponsors and, and everything else. So um, I hope this doesn't end up you know damaging touring cars. Cause I, I absolutely you know love watching you know the FIA um, GT and touring car classes and, and a number of different things. So um, come on, Max, do the right thing and, and just retire. Let's Get let everybody out. move on from this and uh, just go away. I don't want to talk about him anymore because uh, we're just giving him the attention that uh, he wants, I guess. So, let's move on to another topic that's a little less, um, I don't know, a little more palatable, let's say. And this gets back to what we dig about Formula One, of being an engineering powerhouse in the world. I mean, you know, using motor racing as uh, just the outlet for engineering genius, really. And ironically Uh, enough, it was Max Mosley's idea, partially at least. And that is the <laughs> KERS systems that are going to be in FI, uh, going to be in Formula One next year. KERS stands for Kinetic Energy Recovery Systems, and it's basically making Formula One cars hybrid cars. A little bit, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, there's Robin's got some more details on the technology than I do, but it's it's used in every hybrid car that's any that's got any kind of a, you know electric and gasoline system. Um, but you know, right now, any pretty much any car that uh, as it uses the brakes. All that energy from the car moving is turned into heat in the form of the brakes, and and we see that time and time again in F1 with uh, you know brakes that have caught on fire that have gotten really hot. You see huge amounts of smoke and dust coming out of them, uh, especially when they're changing tires during pit stops. I mean, there's a huge amount of heat there, which in effect is lost energy. I mean, they they had to you know put energy into the system to into the car to to get right. it going, and every time it's, every it's single lap, every single car. Is just generating Every a bunch of heat. Zone. Yeah, it's yeah. transferred to heat. It's transferred to energy that can't be used anymore. Yeah, and the idea is that instead of transferring it to heat, you transfer it to uh, a different type of energy that can then be transferred back to the wheels to propel the car again. And that's especially with Formula One cars. Um, every time you slow down, a moment later you're going to speed back up. So to be able to reclaim some of that energy to use just a moment later makes a lot of sense, engineering wise. Yeah. Now. You guys, you know, most people probably know about the system. The the one that is is best known 
is Toyota Synergy Drive, and it is basically, you know, an electric battery, you know, electric and battery system that hooks up to the engine. It's uh, obviously a little bit more complicated than that, but that's the nuts and bolts of it. And that's that's the most popular system, and that's going to be one of the systems you see. But there's actually there's there's uh, three different types of energy capturing uh, systems that are being considered. So wait, real quick here, what if this is like Toyota's big plan from the get go? What well, if they just pull ahead immediately because they've got so much R and D and, and hybrid powertrains? And that's exactly was going to be my next point. Is that in 2009, Toyota and Honda already have a fairly extensive experience with hybrid design. BMW. Is Although Honda, okay, Honda's hybrids are dog slow, though. Come on, Toyota oh, no. makes a better hybrid setup set for, well, for road cars. I wouldn't. I don't know. I would. I wouldn't be quite as uh, negative about it as you are. I think. I think the current Civic Hybrid versus the Prius is closer than you might think. It's a different. It's a. It's a simpler design. I'll give you that. And Honda's coming out with a new. You know hybrid car that's solely a hybrid car not just a, a hybrid version of another car they sell yeah. uh, in, next year but that's as opposed the to the Insight which was the same thing years ago right okay so uh, <laughs> well the Insight came out before the Prius too to be fair just, Honda was just, actually the just first barely. one yes but their system is, is not nearly as exciting as a Toyota is not nearly as efficient either but anyway it's not necessarily going to be the system they're also looking at into uh, ultra capacitors yep and, mm-hmm. as capturing the energy and uh, flywheels uh, as as capturing the energy instead of the electric motors, and there's going to be three different options here, and it's the way I read this article. It's actually not a mandatory thing to run curves, but it's going to be allowed, and based on prediction, it's going to make the car two to three tenths uh, of a second faster per lap, which is why pretty much every team is expected to use it. Yeah, it sounds like one of the possible downsides, though, especially as the system is still new and being tested, is stability under braking. I mean. Engineers have worked so long on sort of the current paradigm of, of, of brakes um, with, you know, just pads and rotors, and, and that's about it. Um, you know, they've really dialed things in to be just how the drivers want them, and adding this whole new element of this, uh, you know, uh, regenerative regenerative braking system um, could really mess with the balance of braking and, and really, you know, limit their adjustment options. But I guess once they get it worked out, maybe it could give them more options, and they could have, you know, more nonlinear adjustment of, of you know, Break uh, break balance and that kind of thing. And the other the other there's there's a lot of there's a lot of balances here that's going to make it very interesting. First of all, uh, that energy is going to be transferred into another form of kinetic energy instead of heat, meaning the brakes won't get nearly as hot. Yes. Well, that means two things: a are the brakes going to be running under different operating temperatures, requiring different materials and more material science being done? Yeah. And second, how big are your brake ducts going to have to be? That that whole game starts over again. Yeah, and, and then you also can run smarter brake ducts, which is better aero. And and then I, I mean, having more power on the way out of every corner, who doesn't want that, right? right. I mean, that's and and you know they'll have to see how that how that power is put down because if it's coming out of a flywheel, um, I don't know how you're going to modulate that with your right foot. You know how they're going to yeah, work out the, the nuts and bolts of this kind of thing. If it's computers a, and actuators and fancy fancy equipment working with you. Uh, to help you with that, and it's I think it's it's a bit funny to me that we have this in the age that we don't have traction control. That the whole point of this year, over last year, and over previous years is uh, is you know the drive the driver in the car, and that's it. And now it's like oh the driver in the car, oh and these motors and these computers, and, and also the, they're they're they have their own traction control, but the driver is doing the engine. I mean, well, we'll that, have to see how that comes. And out, that's though. the other side of it too. Is these systems are uh, are expected to add about fifty five kilograms to the car? Yeah. Now. Pretty much every Formula One car racing today, I would argue probably every single one, is actually built well underweight and then you just use ballast really low to get to the minimum required 660 kilograms or whatever it is. Yeah, and with the ballast, they can put the, put the weight exactly where they want it, wherever they need it to help balance the car. To keep the center of gravity low. That's going to take away some of that ability, so it might raise the center of gravity a little bit. It's going to alter the front to rear balance a little bit. It's going to change a lot of things. And so you're going to have a car that is going to be less dynamically capable and more powerful, effectively. And so that's going to alter the way things work. And then there's a huge factor of who can do this better than the other person, more effectively. I mean, there are some rule limits here that I don't fully understand, but you're basically basically allowed to use a maximum – 
I've, I believe, 400 kilojoules of energy per lap, and and store, huh? And store 400 kilojoules per lap. Um, let's see, here it is. The uh, according to Automotive Engineering International, the maximum under braking for the rear wheels at the maximum rate of 60 kilowatts. Store it and then return it under acceleration at the maximum rate of 60 kilowatts. The maximum amount of energy that may be returned in a single lap is 400 kilojoules or 60 kilowatts for 6.7 seconds. So there's limitations to how much energy can be stored and how much energy can be used. So the huge, huge key here is going to be how efficiently can you grab that 400 kilojoules and how do you maximize it, where do you use it during the lap, how do you implement it. Uh, This is going to open things up. And for... For a series that has pretty much seen Ferrari and McLaren dominance uh, since since the 80s, the the uh, the only four teams that have won a world championship since the late 70s is Ferrari, mm-hmm. McLaren, Renault, and Williams. Yeah, Williams has won fewer and not than and, the other, and not in a while. And yeah, so you're talking about McLaren, uh, Ferrari, and Renault. Yeah. Well, McLaren, I mean, Ferrari has zero experience with hybrid systems, has pretty much stayed away from them. That's not their thing. They do have the parent company, Fiat, um, which may have some hybrid stuff in road cars, but I don't know how much of that's going to translate over anyway. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess we could say the same for Toyotas, although Toyota does have, I mean, some of the probably, Toyota and Honda are the two industry leaders in hybrids right now. Right. And there is a joint project going on that includes, I believe, Mercedes, BMW, and General Motors, um, and that they're working on hybrid technology? Yeah. No, I, I'm sorry. It's 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 BMW. Yeah, it's BMW, Daimler Chrysler, which is Mercedes, and, uh, and GM. Hmm. So you're going to see a little bit of experience from both Mercedes and BMW, but much less. So this could completely change the landscape to Formula One next year. Absolutely, and and I think we've. Uh, I, I hesitate to uh, to to agree with that f- wholeheartedly because we've seen things in the past. Oh, how driver age are going to completely change the landscape. Oh, it's really going to be who's the driver now, not who has the best electronics. And well, it has I think made the racing more exciting and more fun. It hasn't you know drastically changed things. And then with the different t- option tire, and when you have oh, there's h- hard tires and there's soft tires, and you know when a guy on the soft tire, it's going to be so much faster. It's really going to change things, and that hasn't turned out to be much. So. My concern is that by the time this regulation is actually in place, um, it may be so sort of kind of watered down um, to the point that it may not make that big of a difference. Um, but I hope that it does because, as I think we've, I've talked about um, a long time ago on the podcast, um, I feel like there are a lot of ways that we could get F1 back to sort of the engineering pinnacle of motorsport. And this, I think, is a good example where they're doing development work here that can later be applied to road cars. Right, and that's, right now, that's the key, making them road-relevant again. Because right now, road cars, in some cases, have better technology than the Formula 1. I mean, with some of the some of the latest, like the you know 8,400 RPM uh, V8 in the, in the BMW M3 with the magnesium block and all these things that, that aren't even allowed in F1. Um, some of the different kinds of, um, I mean, obviously hybrid um, hybrid drive right now is not allowed, and so there were some fancy differentials Honda, Honda was trying to use for... Uh, to not lock up wheels under braking, and I said, oh, you can't use that. Right. Um, and I guess I feel like in an extreme case, having um, to, to make it sort of relevant to fuel economy and performance and a, and a balance, um, I think it would be brilliant for F4F1 to say, um, you guys get X amount of liters of fuel for the whole race, go at it. Yep. You know, and, and if some teams come up with small engines that are high revving and turbocharged or supercharged or twin charged or whatever, some teams come up with larger engines that are, you know, work last longer and, and work more easily. I mean, uh, who knows? But we could see some really wild combinations. And I guess seeing um, having uh, the teams having the option to do this and also having multiple approaches makes it more exciting for me yeah. because I feel like there could be one car that's, you know, better on a certain certain part and, and slower on a different part. Um, whether that's one track to the next, uh, or or just you know even certain corners around a tra- around a, cer- a single track, and that could really make things more exciting. Yeah, and it's a step in the right direction at the very least. And who knows, maybe Ferrari will have the crappiest hybrid system and still be the fastest car. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's there's more to it than that. And there's you know another side of the regulations is that all the the baffles and winglets and all the other um, add-on aerodynamic pieces are going to be outlawed next year. So. That's going to be more of the 
typical standard Formula One type of knowledge that the top teams like Ferrari and McLaren are going to be, you know, definitely strong at, and whether the other teams can keep up with them or not. Yeah. You know, so and sixty kilowatts is like eighty point eighty and a half horsepower, and then you know for units that I understand anyway is horsepower. Yeah. Um. So it's it's not. I mean, it's it, that's kind of like it's, a. It's ten percent. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's. Not quite like a push to pass. It's not like it's quite on demand. I don't think. Well, although maybe it could be. I don't know if they could store um, that and use it when they need to, or if they have to use it immediately. Um, they, but that's a little bit up in the air. I, that, I mean, that could be pretty interesting if they they say, okay, we've got every lap we can use eighty horsepower for x what was the six point seven seconds for six point seven seconds. If they had a way that they could store that until they needed it and just use that, and they had sort of six point seven seconds of push to pass per lap. That could be interesting, right? But the way the way it reads, I don't think you could have six point seven seconds lap one, not use it, and then have thirteen seconds this you know on lap two. I think right? No, so it'd be every, every lap it, you don't get rollover. Where on the here. lap do you use it exactly? <laughs> yeah, so. but you could use it somewhere in that lap, and whether that's one more thing for the driver to do, and and is complicated, or whether that's somehow automatically mapped out by the engine and it just kind of does it. I don't know, and how, and I think the loss of traction control complicates that a little bit in my mind as far as how they're going to get the power down when it's a combination of electric motor and um, gasoline engine. But well, that's the other thing I was going to mention is, in a very to a very small extent, this could be used as traction control just a little bit. Yeah, pretty minor because again we're talking about a ten percent power bump here, nothing huge. Yeah. So uh, there you have it. It's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, this you're not going to see any of this until 2009 but the information and the different ideas are starting to come out so we wanted to talk about it and uh, kind of get you guys thinking about it and uh, we'd be really interested to hear what you guys think about uh, these different technologies and what's going on with Max Mosley and who's going to win French Grand Prix and you can do all of that through many different options you've got f1show.com which is brilliant you've and which has and that's really the, the starting point because you've got links to the podcast on iTunes if you want to get it from there um, if you want to click over to the Facebook page we've got discussion boards and stuff there and uh, Robert and I do stop in there every once in a while and, and you know if you've got questions and want to ask other other f1 show fans or ask us um, anything go ahead in there and uh, also you can send us a voicemail which via via Skype there's a link to that right on our vo- right on our uh, f1show.com page um, and and or you can just uh, if you have Skype already, our uh, Skype name is F1 Show. So uh, call us up, and we probably won't answer, but you leave us a voicemail. That's sort of how it works, and we'll uh, we can play you on the show, and you can be on the, on a future show. Um, you hear your own voice there. Send us email, and also send us an email to feedback at f one show dot com, which is brilliant. That's brilliant. Uh, what else do you really need to say about that? And the last thing we'd have you do while you're surfing around the internet, internet and uh, looking at our site is click over to performancedrift.com. Yes, Performance Box is the F1 show's sponsor, and I'm going to start over. <laughs> I thought you were going to roll with that. That was going to be good. Yes, performancedrift.com where you can get the Performance Box, a GPS-based lap timer, performance meter, and data logger. Perfect for any car nut to use at track days, autocrosses, or simply to see what your car can do. Shipping worldwide from VBOX USA. For more info and the online store, go to performancedrift.com. Absolutely. So we've got two weeks until France. Robin and I, uh, we've, we've made our predictions. They're in the bag. We want to hear yours. Robin thinks Kimi on pole, Kimi for the win. I think Masa go on Kimi! pole. Yeah, whatever. I think Massa on pole and Hamilton for the win. Yeah, Hamilton's got to stick it to your to your boy. Kimi. He'll probably stick it right in the back once again with stupid mistakes like that. Maybe they'll get disqualified for the rest of the season. I don't know. I don't want that to happen. But uh, maybe Kubica will go on and win the championship. I don't know. But we'll have to watch. We'll be tuning in, and uh, you'll have to check us out after the French Grand Prix. But until then, I'm Jim Lau. And I'm Robin Warner. We'll see you then.